Hey, everybody. Hey, it's good to see everyone. Good to see you. I'm Rick Julian. I am the pastor of Encounter Church and friend of some of the amazing people that you sit around you. I just wanted to take a couple of minutes today because I've actually been in your seat. I've attended a, um, a couple of church starts and just to kind of see what they're like. And so often what happens is they just kind of launch into music. And, and I'm thinking, man, I don't even know this pastor. I don't know anybody beside me. And so I wanted to try to help you with that a little bit. One, I'm Rick Julian. Uh, I'm married. You probably met my wife at the door to Rachel. We've been married 14 years. She's just one of the most amazing girls that you will ever meet. Uh, Rachel has a master's in marriage and family therapy. And so here's what I would tell you. Uh, there's some announcements going to be at the end of service, but this is like a highlight. Rachel's going to be leading a ladies group, and I would highly encourage you to go to Rachel's Bible study. Um, one of the neat things about her, she's always texting and calling and checking up on her friends. She is one of the most amazing prayer warriors I've ever met in my life. So if you don't have anyone in your life that prays for you, you need to be friends with my Rachel because she will pray for you. She will text prayers for you. She will email prayers for you. She is a woman of prayer. So I'd encourage you to kind of make a note, make a note of that. Um, I'm Rick. Um, I'm a former PE teacher and coach. So I'm kind of a coach at heart. When I preach, I've kind of been told that I preach kind of like uh, a coach. So I, it's kind of like a halftime talk is how I view it. <laughs> so if I get passionate sometimes, just know that's kind of the old coach in me just coming out. You know, I want us to come out and win the game at the end. So, um, so that's kind of that's my heart. We are loving getting started. I know we have some new folks here and some folks haven't been here in a while. This is just our fifth week. And honestly, what, uh, what folks say is this is really when you get started in church life. People kind of have Labor Day and then you get going. So this is just our fifth time meeting like here in a row. Uh, today is full of all kinds of excitement. And I would tell you that there's no greater thing than church planting. Um, here's what I would tell you to do. Get involved. Uh, I bring my son. My son wakes up on his own, my eight-year-old, and says, Dad, I want to go with you because something exciting happens every single week. We pulled up today, and we had a flat tire on the trailer, and he thought that was the coolest thing ever because he got to learn how to change a flat. You know, he's kind of jacking up the trailer. There's just always something going on, but uh, just roll up the sleeves and go with it. It's really a blast setting up the lobby, fruit kebabs, you name it. We're very involved in the community. And so if you're wondering what is... What's a church all about? Why should I be a part of a, a church plant? There's other churches around. Well, one, I would tell you, this is a very lost place. I don't know if you know this about your community, but here, just in North Fulton and in Forsyth, only 15% of our community is in church on a Sunday. Let me rewind that. Only 15% of our community is in church on a Sunday. And so you need different churches with different pastors, with different people to reach different folks. So there's no church that's competing with someone. We're not in competition with any other church. We are just missionaries trying to reach people with Jesus. He changed my life. He can change your life. He uh, impacts my marriage and my family. He can impact your family and your marriage. He touched my heart at an early age. And he can touch your heart no matter how old you are. And I promise, if you plug in, get involved, attend worship regularly, help us set up, help us tear down, get involved in some of the community events, you will make, you will make friends that will last a lifetime because you'll have memories. 
You'll have memories about changing tires, guys. <laughs> I, will, I promise you I'll never forget changing a tire with Jason Furtak this morning. I will remember that in 20 years because I've only probably changed three tires my whole life. Um, so church planting is exciting. If you're wondering what's so different about, about this one, well, we're in a movie theater. That's pretty unique, right? That's pretty, that's pretty unique. And so uh, why are we here? Well, one of the things is you want a church to be sticky, right? When you tell someone where you're going, when we say Avalon, they're like, oh, yeah, I know where that is. And so part of the reason we picked here because it's a sticky spot. When we say Encounter Church, people can remember the Regal. Also, I want to say thank you to some folks. We had some people help out at a, at a community event yesterday. We did grilling, um, gridiron and grilling uh, for to benefit the Lionheart School in downtown Alpharetta. Hey, if you helped out with that and you're here today, would you slip up your hand? Come on, Allison, be brave, Jay, Carmen. Thank you, Andra, in the back. I just want to say a special thanks to you guys. God bless you. We gave away 400 kebabs, for those of you who are wondering, fruit kebabs. And I uh, got to meet a lot of folks. The mayor was there. We got to mix and mingle, talk Jesus, talk Encounter Church. Also, I want to thank everybody who came out to just have fun and get games at Will's Park. I learned that um, Pam, right here in the middle. Pam, raise your hand. She's shy. She hates this. Pam is awesome at badminton. I promise you she will take you down in badminton. Also, uh, Luis and Allie, you don't want to touch them in cornhole. They will wear you out at cornhole. We had a good time. I want to thank all of you guys for, for doing that. What is the vision? Hey, our vision is just to really impact people with Jesus Christ. And so um, I hope that, you'll, hope that you'll come back, get to know us, get to know what we're all about. Definitely check out my wife's Bible study. Mine starts the following week. Let me introduce you to Mr. Mac Vaughn. He's an awesome guy. Unfortunately, he's an Ole Miss fan, but besides that, he's amazing. <laughs> I like Ole Miss. They're pretty good. Hotty toddy. Hey, from all the way from Petal, Mississippi, our worship leader, Mr. Mac Vaughn. Mac, you pray for us and get us going? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, first and foremost, thank you for a beautiful day. Thank you for allowing us to get up this morning, the breath you've give us, uh, given us this morning to be able to come here. Thank you for every single person that's here, Lord. We pray right now that as we have worship and that we sing songs to you, God, that first and foremost, we we see Jesus in these songs. We see what you're about. And uh, secondly, God, we want to lift this up to you. We want to understand that this is created by you, God, and it's for you. So as we sing these songs, God, may we understand who we're singing it to and what the purpose behind these songs are. In Christ's name, amen. If you mind standing with us, y'all okay? Y'all alive? Y'all awake? That's the, best, that's the best response I've had since I've been here. All right. It's going to be a good morning. All right, guys. Thank you. 
singing. I love it. Welcome to Encounter Church. I am Rachel Julian. I am the lucky wife married to the pastor. We are so glad to have you here. When you came in, you received one of these bulletins. There is a tear-off tab. If you would tear it off, fill out your name, information, anything we can do to pray for you, because we do. Rick reads these, prays for y'all during the week. I pray for y'all during the week. So please fill that out when the offering comes around later. Um, if you'll just drop that in so that we know how we can pray for you guys. Um, I want everybody to, let's see, what's the question of the day? All right, we made fruit kebabs yesterday. I want you to go greet someone you don't know and tell them what is your favorite kebab you've ever eaten. Go.
All right, all right. Hey, as you guys are settling down, as you head back to your seats, I just want to tell you about something. I want to ask for your help. I want to ask for your help. In just a moment, my, um, my wonderful wife, Rachel, and my good friends, the Brazadas, Jim and Paula, I'm drafting you right now. You guys don't know about this. Would you help me with something? You probably received an invite to our church in the mail. I'm going to ask them just to pass out uh, those again real quick. Would you do me a favor? Would you take this mailer and would you invite a friend back with you next week? Build a relationship. Bring them with you. Maybe take one or two of these to work with you. Leave it on a table at work. Um, Send it to somebody. Would you guys just uh, help me by helping me uh, saturate these, all right? And I appreciate, I would appreciate anything that you could, you could help me do. The range that we have is pretty amazing. People drive from pretty far north, you know, exit 14 and 15, all the way down to exit 1, uh, just to, to get here. So we have folks that are coming from all over the place. We're humbled by that. People ask me all the time, Rick, how do you think it's going? And I just want to tell you, um, this is how I think it's going. Five weeks ago, it was just Mac up there. And did you not hear that banjo today? Kenny, that was awesome. Thank you, Kenny. Way to go, buddy. You brought it, Kenny. Uh, and then just the ever-steady, present, uh, amazing Dennis LaPiccolo. Dennis, thank you, man. I think you're a pretty special guy. So people ask me, how's it going? Because of men like that and sacrifices, I'm really excited about the future of Encounter Church. This morning, uh, Jason's changing a flat on our trailer at, you know, 7 or 8 a.m. Because of commitments like Jason's. Uh, Dr. Carl Gagaris is in the back. He's been working with children for four weeks in a row. Because of great commitments like Carl sacrificing and working with children, take, you know, watching my kids and your children, uh, because of Jim and Paula, I never have to worry about coffee or hospitality set, set up. And I have to tell you, the last time we did this, Rachel, Rachel and I moved here from New York. We started a church in New York, and we didn't have this many people to start with. We started with 20. And so today in here, there's like 40 in here and like 20 in our children. So we've probably got like 60 today. You're asking me how I feel. I feel really good. Not because of any number. I feel good because of what I see in your hearts. And I see commitment. People just showing up to serve and connect. Uh, whether it's at Wills Park or at Grilling and uh, Gridiron. Uh, I mean, so many fabulous people uh, have come to help. Whether it's the, um, you know, my own, my own neighbors helping me. I can't tell you how much uh, Jay and Carmen, they're really shy. They hate attention. But Jay and Carmen are right here. They've done so much. Uh, for this church, and I, I can't thank you guys enough. I appreciate you. Uh, the Davises, I, I met them. They're they're over here by the lights. But the Davises have done so much for uh, for our church. Allison's cutting fruit yesterday. Carmen's cutting fruit. Jay's just Jay, Jay's carrying the fruit. <laughs> You're married to a fruit. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just I'm excited. I'm thrilled. Because of the type of people we have coming and coming back. It's pretty special. And I think that you're pretty amazing people. And I wish I could just take an hour and talk about all of you and how amazing you are. But let me pray for us and we're going to get going. Lord, Lord, you've put some, some pretty incredible people in this room. And Lord, I pray a use me prayer for each and every one of them. That today, 
that you would use them. That you'd use them as they get ready for work tomorrow. That you'd use them in their families as they minister to children. Some young, some older now. Lord, I pray that you'd use the people in this room as they minister to the grandchildren, their neighbors, those who come into their places where they work. Lord, help the men and women in this room be leaders. Not passive ones, but ones that step up. Step up to pray. That step up to bring you into a conversation. That step up and bring you into a gap where there's a lack of faith. Or a lack of hope, a hope in a life. I pray, Lord, that you'd use these men and women. That you'd use them to represent you to be great ambassadors for your kingdom. And all of heaven. Lord, use this church to do a mighty work for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, I'm glad you're here today. I think that we have a very special message. And I'm glad that you're here to hear it. I'm in the middle of, I'm ending a series called Storm Surge. And I don't know if you've ever been in a hurricane, but to see a storm surge is pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, in New York, my church, you know, we experienced a, a hurricane just a couple years ago. And I probably spent four or five weeks just doing a disaster relief on the coast around Long Island. And we just saw the surge. And what so many people said was, you know, we never saw the ocean come in. The water just came up out of the ground. And it just flooded our entire house. And so we spent weeks and weeks just tearing out sheetrock. And that's what a storm can do in your life. All of a sudden, you don't realize it, but just it seems like the waters of hopelessness begin to rise. You know, a situation uh, that you worry about and you're like, oh my goodness, I see it coming. I don't know what to do. I was in uh, Mississippi about 10 years ago. When a hurricane came through, this was before um, this was before Katrina. Actually, it was the year before Katrina. And a woman told me about washing dishes in her kitchen. And as she was washing dishes, she said she could see the storm surge coming toward her home. And as she was telling me this story, just you know, her eyes began to well up. And I said, "What did you do?" She said, at first, I wasn't too concerned. It was just, it was far off. The water was coming. It just looked like it was distant. And then I saw it kind of like a pool come up towards our house, like a a rising creek. And then it kind of came up to the porch. And then in the living room. And when I saw that it was going to come up in the house, I went upstairs. And I didn't think much about it. I thought we were going to be okay. I looked out my window and I saw it come up our stairway. And up into the second floor. I said, what would you do when it got to your second floor? She said, Pastor, I pulled down the attic door. And I went up in the attic. I started to pile things in the attic. And I got on top. And she said, I, then I saw the water come through the attic floor. I said, what would you do when it came to the attic? She said, I knocked out an attic window. And I crawled on top of my roof. And she said, and then I just cried. Because as far as I could see, all I could see was water. All I could see was just people desperate. I saw friends. I was looking for family. I was worried about my own mother. I was worried about my nieces and my nephews. And she said, and then the water came up on my roof. And I jumped. I jumped into a tree. And I climbed the tree. And I said, how long were you in a tree? She said, I was in that tree for two days. And then someone helped me. She's just crying. Some of you are here today, and that's what you feel like. You feel like something's come in on your family, 
or relationship that you love and that you care about. It could be a workplace, it could be a child, it could be a parent, and you just feel like the, the waters of trouble are rising and it's overtaking you. And you know what? You've lifted yourself up. You've gone to the next floor. You said, all right, I got this. It's going to be okay. But the, the trouble continues to rise. And so you go up into the attic and you think it can't get any worse. There's no way that our financial issues can get any worse than this. And then you see it rise some more. What do you do? You, you, you get on top of things. And you think it can't get up here. There's no way. And some of you just might feel like that lady. Like you just have no other, other decision than to just jump. To just jump and hang on to a branch. Listen, today I want to talk to you about storm surges in your life. Today's title, Giddy Up. <laughs> now, you might be wondering why I'm saying Giddy Up. Because when a storm surges, you got to get up. But also, my one cheesy joke for the morning. <laughs> there was a professor. Now, his, this professor wouldn't have been like Professor Carl because this professor... Uh, Carl's much funnier than this one. This professor had, had kind of just an, an international um, class of students. They were from everywhere. And this professor said to them, he said, <laughs> he said, who can tell me what is the opposite of depression? You know, the, the students begin to raise their hand and he says, you, you know, uh, young German, you tell me what do you think is the opposite of depression? And this German says, well, I think it's it's, it's elation. Um, and then someone else, uh, he, he says, hey, tell me the opposite of depression. He says, elation. He says, tell me the opposite of joy. And then uh, there's this guy from China. He says, I think the opposite of joy is sadness. He says, okay, so the opposite of depression is elation. The opposite of joy is sadness. He says, who can tell me the opposite of woe? And then there was a Texan in the back. The Texan raises his hand. He says, yes, sir. What is the opposite of woe? And he says, well, I reckon the opposite of woe is giddy up. Right? My one, my one cheesy joke for the day. Thus, the title today is giddy up. Because the truth is, I believe that some of us need to get up out of the storm surge. Some of us need to get up out of the woe. Maybe you're here and you've got a little bit of the blues. Maybe you're here and you just feel a little down or hopeless. And here's what I want to share with you. You're not alone. You need to hear me. You are not alone. I don't know if your, your blues are over money or relationships or just worry for your family. But you need to hear this. You're not all by yourself. I'm a pastor and I've been working with people for 20 years now. And every year I can assure you, you're not alone in your woe. You're not alone in your depression. You're not alone in your blues. Whether it's staying at home and not seeing anyone because you're just focused on your babies. Or you go to work and you just can't get through the drama of a work environment because it's so crazy. You are not alone. And today, I want to look at someone who has been in your shoes. Who has felt what you have felt. His name is Elijah. Uh, this First Kings 19 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. Elijah is one of my favorite men, favorite men in the Bible. He reminds me of me a little bit. And so I like to look at the life of Elijah. If you have your Bibles, look at him. And here's what you need to know about him. He was a man with high highs and low lows. And some of you might can identify with that. Maybe you've had some high highs and some low lows. Well, that is Elijah. 
I'm going to read to you the first three verses. So if you have your Bibles, let me read to you um, some some verses. And this is interesting. You kind of place to pick up. I'll explain it to you after we get through. It says this. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say this. May the gods deal with me be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. I'll just stop there, kind of 3A, we'll pick up on 3B. 1 Kings 19, 1-3, we pick up at this interesting time. Elijah has some highs, he has some lows, and what you need to understand here, and I think I... Highlight it says that he was afraid and he ran. Now, I want to I want to talk to you about why would he be afraid and why would he run? Did you see earlier where um, Ahab said he told his wife everything that Elijah had done before we go any further and talk about the depression? You need to understand what Elijah has been through for me to understand your depression or blues or depression today. You always have to put it in context. What is someone going through? What have they lost? Who have they lost? What are the major stressors in their life? Incredible. Maybe it's job change. Maybe it's loss of income, loss of relationship, a death. There's several indicators that can trigger the blues or depression. And it's important that we understand what's going on in Elijah's life. At this point, we have to understand the king, though. The king said this. Basically, in these first three verses, you need to understand that this guy is weak. He's the kind of husband who's just at the end and he's tired. He's like a wet wash rag. He says, honey, will you take care of this? I just don't have the energy for this anymore. And so in 1 Kings 19, Jezebel has kind of taken the mantle and she's running the country. You need to know that. And so when Jezebel says, it is over for Elijah. Tomorrow, he's going to be like the rest of them. Who are them? These are some prophets that she had killed earlier. People who didn't speak positively about the king or about Jezebel. And so now you have a little bit of the context. And then it says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Now when someone threatens your life, that's disconcerting. I don't know if anyone's ever threatened your life. I'll tell you, someone's threatened my life before. You know, when you counsel people and husbands and you know, wives come to you, and if one decides to leave for a little while, the husband wants someone to blame. You know who they love to blame? The pastor, right? I've had, I've had some men say that to me before. It, 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 there is a natural fear that happens here. And so it's kind of natural, but let's take this into context. We need to understand better what's happening. See, before this, Elijah did something amazing. God raised up Elijah. And it was like all of a sudden, Elijah was a man's man. And God said, Elijah, I want you to go talk to King Ahab. And I want you to tell him that he needs to repent from his sin, for he's evil to the people. And I see it, and I'm not going to tolerate it. And you want to know, that's what happens oftentimes. That's what happens in your world and in my world. Many times, God works by raising up one man, one woman, one student at a school. One couple in a neighborhood. He will raise up one to confront one thing. And so what happens is Elijah confronts 
King Ahab. And by the way, King Ahab at this point is the 19th evil king in a row. Now imagine if we had 19 evil presidents in a row. What would that do to America? It would look pretty bad, pretty daunting. So in this, where Elijah is rising up is 19 evil kings in a row. And when Elijah comes before the king, he's bold. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Ahab was the most evil of all the evil kings. And so Elijah comes up and he tells him, God sees your evil and you need to repent of your sin and turn to God. Then uh, something happens to Elijah. Because he was afraid, he goes to something earlier called the Kareth Ravine. Now in Hebrew, the Kareth Ravine means cutting down. It's a place of cutting. Some of you have been to a Kareth Ravine and you didn't even know it. You see, when your life is threatened, when you have the blues or you're concerned, many of us will be taken to a place where God just kind of chops us down. I think of that old Johnny Cash song. You remember that old Johnny Cash song, God's going to cut you down? God doesn't literally cut you down. But what I see here is God allowing um, Elijah to go to the Kareth Ravine. And what happens there is a place where we just become to complete dependence on God. And what happens is Elijah doesn't have any way to get substance because there's a drought. That's what Elijah said to the king. Because you refuse to repent, it will not rain here until I say it's going to rain. And then he runs to this ravine. Now guess how he's fed? He's fed by ravens. Ravens bring him bread and meat into his cave. They just kind of drop it in front of him. Wouldn't that be nice service? You think you like, you know, carry out, right? This is some kind of carry out. Ravens, through a drought, bring meat and bread. Just kind of drop it before him. And then a brook springs up. And he's kind of got this miracle brook that gets him water. And then God calls him out of this Kareth Ravine. It was a time of cutting for him. Complete dependence on God. And I'm willing to bet that some of you are today have gone through a Kareth Ravine where you've had to depend on God, where in the past maybe you just were able to depend on yourself. Well, Elijah is called out of this Kareth Ravine, and he goes to a place called Zaphath. I could be mispronouncing it, but Zaphath is this little town where there's a widow. The widow, we know, has lost her husband, but she lives with a son. And Elijah comes and he says, Ma'am, give me some of your, give me some of your flour. And she says, Elijah, you don't understand We were going to have oil and flour, and then me and my son, we were out of food. We're going to die. Well, I mean, that's it. And Elijah says, give me some oil and flour. She says, Elijah, you don't understand. We were going to have a pancake. We were going to have some oil, and we're going to die because there's nothing else. There's a drought. And what we learn here is really the principle of the tithe, right? We will look at our finances, and we will look at our things, and we'll say, this is all I got. It's not going to make it. You know, after this runs out, it's all I am. But what we learn there is Elijah goes to that town, and when she gives him the pancake first, God does a miracle. There's more pancakes and more oil and more pancakes and more oil. And it all all of a sudden becomes a buffet. And the principle is that when you give to God first, he blesses the rest. Right? When you give to God first, he blesses the 90%. And the blessed 90% goes further than a cursed 100%. And so then everyone eats. And unbelievably, Elijah sees this woman. Son, he dies. 
Now, this woman and her son were just destitute. They're about to run out of food. The little boy gets sick, and it says that Elijah goes up to the little boy. And this is the first place in Scripture where we see a, a resurrection. Elijah goes up to the little boy, and he stretches out over him, nose to nose, eyes to eyes, fingers to fingers, toes to toes. And it says that he just kind of prays over this little boy. And the little boy comes back to life. Isn't that pretty incredible? Now, Elijah, it says he was afraid and he ran for his life. That's what you need to understand. Elijah has walked with God and he has seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And when he leaves that town and this widow, he goes back to the king. And he says to the king, Hey, you get your, you get your Baal prophets. Baal was kind of sun god. He says, hey, you get your prophets, and you make an altar, and I'll make an altar, and we'll, we'll pray that your sun god and my one holy god will cast down fire. And whichever altar burns up, that is the one true God. So that's what they do. You know, Ahab and Jezebel say, all right, you got it. And so they kind of come out. They have 450 Baal prophets come out, and they make an altar, and they put, bull on the, uh, put a bull on the altar, and they, be kinda, they begin to kind of pray. And Elijah begins to talk smack a little bit. I think this is one of the first smack talks in Scripture. He's like, hey, maybe your God's going to the bathroom. Maybe he needs a few more minutes. Hey, maybe your God can't hear you. You know, it's kind of like all of a sudden Elijah's just pulling a nanny nanny boo-boo, right? And so all of a sudden... They just give up. They're worn out, these bell prophets. Elijah goes up to his uh, altar, and he just prays, God Almighty, if you are true, would you reveal your power today and come down? And it, the Bible says a miracle happens in the midst of this drought. Lightning strikes this altar. Fire comes down. It burns up the bull. And these, all of a sudden, these other prophets are just struck with fear. And Elijah actually says that these others are, are killed, destroyed by a sword. So when we pick up here in 19, Elijah's come back. And Jezebel's upset. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Does it make any sense that Elijah has run? He has seen God work. He's seen God move. He's seen God act just like you and I have. We've seen God work, move, and act, and yet sometimes we still get afraid, don't we? Well, I want to quickly go through, through with you four ways to get depressed easily. And this is what we see. We're going to see it through verses 3, 4, and 5. Check this out. Uh, verse 3b and 5. We left off at 3b. It says this. Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Mark that. Underline that he left his servant. Verse 4. It says, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree. He sat down under it and he prayed. Notice what he prayed. That he might die. He says, I have, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. In verse 5, then he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. I want to talk with you just briefly about how depression can happen. Now, I'm not a physician, so I'm not going to talk about this from a medical perspective today. I'm going to talk with you as a pastor from a biblical perspective. Here's what it says clearly happened. 
Elijah was in a spiritual battle. And by the way, some of you are here too in a spiritual battle. You think your enemy's your husband. You think your enemy's your spouse, your mom, your dad, your friends, your workplace. That's not the case. Your enemy is the evil one. That is your enemy. That was Elijah's enemy. And so Elijah has had high highs. He has had low lows. And it says that he's actually gone from one place to another. To keep this short and simple, Elijah's exhausted. <laughs> Look, a sign. Look, the, one of the easy ways to get depressed is just be exhaust, exhausted. Wear yourself out. Work seven days a week. Have two or three jobs. Try to be a good spouse, parent, child. Try to coach the rec leagues. Go to church and serve. Try to do it all. That's the easiest way to get exhausted. Mom, some of you are here. And you can completely identify with what I'm talking about. Because there's different types of exhaustion. There is physical exhaustion. A mother who works full time, tries to put dinner on the table, wash clothes, fold clothes, put them away, vacuum occasionally, um, earn income, maybe even pays the bills. I don't know what your responsibilities are, but that is incredibly exhausting. Look, we have two children, and for 10 years my wife was able to stay at home full time. Look, the few times I stayed home with the kids, I would have rather worked. It's easier. There's a break. Maybe you're here today and you're a student. Or maybe you have students. I want you to realize that it is emotionally exhausting to be a student. Are you aware of how much drama there is in a local high school or middle school? I mean, just have someone talking about you or spreading rumors about you or having to go to school all day and then having two hours of homework and then a test and, you know, have the pressure of succeeding in a sport or looking the right way or acting the right way. There's incredible emotional stress for children. Don't mistake that. There's also mental stress. I mean, some of you are, are mentally stressed all the time because you want to be there for everybody. You want to be there for your sister. You want to be there for your brother, your niece, your nephew, your mom. Maybe you're part of the sandwich generation, right? So you want to make sure mom and dad are taken care of, and yet you have older kids coming home. And so you're just emotionally drained because you've done all of that and then some. If you want to be depressed easily, just expend yourself physically, mentally, emotionally. That will get you there. That's Elijah. And that could be you. That could be your life. This could be your family. It could be your house. Secondly, notice, remember I told you to mark where he left his friends. And then he went on by himself. One of the easiest ways to, be, uh, to enter depression, number one, is to be exhausted. But number two, to be isolated. Leave your friends. Guys, you hear me on this because we're the best at this. We're the best at saying, uh, all I need is my family. I just need my wife and that's all. Or I just need my girlfriend and that's it. That is so unhealthy. I can't tell you how unhealthy that is. And here's what we do. It's really pride in our life. Because we think that nobody else can understand what we have to go through. Nobody else has bills to pay. Nobody else has a spouse. Nobody else has children. Nobody else has to work. Or nobody else is out of work. Nobody else understands. So you stay here, friend, and I'm going to go on here by myself. You want to be isolated? You want to have the blues? Be exhausted. Be isolated. Those are two easy ways it happens. And then thirdly, after you've built up those walls, self-pity. <laughs> self-pity. At the end of verse um, 
verse 5, I want, you, I want you guys to not miss this. He sits down under the broom tree, it said, and he prayed, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. <laughs> Have you ever met anybody like that? Self-pity guy? You ever met self-pity girl? I'm no better than my ancestors. You know, what that is is, man, my sister's so much better than me. Or you seem like you love work more than you love me. And what they do is they put themselves down and saying, hey, lift me up. They put everything or they put everybody else up and themselves down. It's, it's saying, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. That self-pity guy, that self-pity girl. And so if you want to easily enter depression, self-pity yourself. You know, talk and look at all of the great things happening in everyone else's life and not your own. And then finally, um, you know, this can happen. I don't want to overshoot this. Like how this, what this could look like in a baby, for a baby boomer, by the way, is if your kids have, maybe they're in their 20s or 30s and they've left church. Maybe you grew them up in church, they've left. You know, you think, man, my kids are never going to come back to Jesus. I mean, they've just walked away from the Lord. I can't believe it. I raised them better than this, right? Self-pity can happen in that. Our nature to control And then what we begin to do is just go ahead and forecast the rest of our kid's life. I would caution you against that. Give God time to work. Give God time to work. You are not God. While you can rescue them or maybe have spent 20 or 30 years rescuing them, they've got to go to the Kareth Ravine where they're fed by the raven and the brook. They've got to go to Zephath and meet the widow who just has one pancake and one thing of oil and see God multiply. When they go through the process, when they go through the storm, and you don't throw out a boat, all of a sudden God can work best. And the greatest thing that happens to children is a storm. And that parents don't rescue too quickly. Now let me tell you, I've got some great parents. And I have been rescued. And I feel so blessed when I am. But here's the great thing about our parents. They don't rescue too quickly. And that is the best thing about them. They let me and Rachel wrestle through it. They let us think through it. They make us pray. They make us turn to God first. And then parents are kind of later in the process. And that is such a blessing. And our life and a great boundary that our parents have kind of given to us. And I'm so thankful for it, by the way. You know, maybe some of you think, man, I can't believe I ate that whole gallon of ice cream. I'm never going to get in those pants again. Yes, you'll get in those pants again, right? You can do it, self-pity. Lastly, forget God. Forget God. That's where he is, right? He's gone through all this. He's forgotten the highs. If you want to go into depression, just forget God. Have self-pity. Be exhausted and isolated. That will get you there. And what we're going to see next is pretty powerful. What we're going to see is God put hope in a hopeless situation. So let's look at verse 5 and 6. And I love these words. It says this in verse 5. Then he lay down under the tree. He falls asleep. Verse 6. I love this. And um, I'm sorry, verse 5. He he fell asleep and all at once an angel touched him. So an angel touches him and he says this too and don't miss it. Get up and eat. Look, I love to hear. Let's go eat. Right? An angel says, hey, get up and eat. Those are those are great words to my mouth. Let's go eat. I, I hope it's Mexican. And then verse, verse 6. It says, he looked around and there 
by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. Verse 7. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and he touched him and he said, Get up and eat for the journey's too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb. I want to talk about this for a second because this verse is the key. This verse is the prescription. I'm going to call this just God's prescription for the blues. This is God's prescription for the blues. One, if you are in the blues today, you're not alone. But one, I like what God said. Eat and rest. It's okay to eat and rest. It's okay to rest. If you're exhausted, if you're isolated, if you're in a kind of a moan zone, oh, I can't believe this happened to me. You need some rest, friend. You know what, um, you know what high executives are learning right now? One of the hardest things to do is maximize your time. If you work 55, 60 hours a week, and so I actually read in a leadership book, one of the greatest ways they're looking at maximizing themselves is sleep. Instead of working to 8, going home, staying up to midnight, or working to 9, staying up to midnight or 1, and then getting up at 6, they're going to bed at 9. They're trying to actually uh, just increase their productivity and being faster and more efficient by resting. Have you noticed athletes are doing this now? Even in college, the University of Tennessee right now, and you maybe you've heard Oregon doing it, they have students on rest programs. And so they actually have college students sleeping 12 hours a day. Go tell your college student that. <laughs> when they get the report card, say, hey, have you tried that new rest program? And it's amazing what happens. Athletes are producing at phenomenal levels. CEOs are more productive than ever. Why? Because they're sleeping. Rest. Some of you are like, I don't know where to start. Rest. That God's word says, keep the Sabbath holy. Rest. But I don't know what to cut. Just rest. You've got to cut something. Talk to God. He'll, he'll give you something to cut. All right, verse 7 and 8, an angel came and said, get up and rest. And notice what it said about this food. It strengthened him for the journey, 40 days and 40 nights till he got to Horeb. Now, Horeb is where the Ten Commandments came from. This is the mountain that Moses went up to. So in other words, what happens here is he goes to church. <laughs> he goes to church. Elijah rested. And then he had to do something about his thinking. Remember, he was pitying himself. So in this case, he confronts his negative thought patterns. Some of us, we get in this moan zone. You know, maybe you guys have heard that old song. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrows. Right? We do that. We get in the moan zone. We're like, nobody understands. I can't believe this. Well, what God does is he takes him to church. He goes to this mountain where he can get alone and be with God. And that's what I would say for some of us. To confront our negative thinking, we need to replace it with godly thoughts. And you replace negative thinking with godly thoughts by getting in God's word. You can come here, you can go to any church, but unless you're in the Bible, reading it regularly, you cannot replace your negative thoughts that may be a dysfunctional home growing up put in there or a dysfunctional workplace put in there. If you want to overcome that dysfunction, you replace the negative thoughts with godly thoughts, and you get godly thoughts through prayer and reading God's Word. 
That's where it happens. And then verse 10, you notice he says this. He says, I, um, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, he says. That's true. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. That's true. Elijah's t- talking to God. And it says, they've broken down your altars. That's true. And they put your prophets to death with the sword. That's true. The Baal prophets killed some godly men. Now notice this next statement. I am the only one left, Elijah says. And now they're trying to kill me too. False. That's the negative thinking. I'm the only one. Nope. If you read further, God says, no, not really. There's 7,000 other godly Israelites. There's 7,000 other people going through what you're going through. There's 7,000 other people who refuse to bow to Baal. There's 7,000 other people who are praying, Elijah. There's 7,000 other people who are turning to me. There's 7,000 other people bringing God to work. There's 7,000 other people standing up for me, Elijah. You are not the only one. You've got to replace these negative thoughts with godly thoughts. And it happens when you get with other godly people. You read God's word. You say prayers. All of a sudden, something begins to happen. All of a sudden, I'm the only one with a dead-end job. I'm never going to get a promotion. Oh, I'm the only one. I've, everybody else has gotten a raise but me. You know, my marriage is never going to be the one I hoped for. You know, I'm never going to get to the income level where I can be self-sufficient. You're not the only one. There's 7,000 other people who are going through what you're going through. More, I promise you. And God is working in their life. We're almost there. Verse 11. I love this. This is what God says. God says, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And then he says, for the Lord is about to pass by. And this is really the key passage of our morning. Because remember, this is called storm surge. And here's the storm that Elijah's going to go through. He goes out and he stands on this mountain. Here's what happens. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains, tore them apart. And it said it shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a what? Help me out. A what? Oh, it's not there. It stops. It must go on. A gentle whisper comes. A gentle whisper. And God was in the whisper. You see, oftentimes when we're going through storms, we think that God... It's going to be in this great big fire or great big earthquake. Listen, God is in the whisper. You think he's might, he, he, the storm surge is coming. You think he's going to speak through the storm. Nope. It just might be through reading your Bible. It might be through your prayer life. It may not be the storm. The storm is simply allowed for you to turn to God. The storm is allowed for you to pray. The storm is allowed so that you'll listen. The storm is allowed so that you'll hear him. Whatever that is. And God is in the whisper. So if you're here today and you need to hear from God, don't look always in that big situation, in that crisis or in that drama. Listen for his whisper. Have a discipline every day before you get out of your car and go in your workplace. Say, I'm going to have five minutes with God in my front seat before I get out of this car. Before you go to bed, say, I'm going to have five minutes before I turn off. Before I turn my covers in or turn this light out. Before you get out of bed, say, 
All right, my alarm's off, but before I get out of this bed, I'm going to say a prayer. And then I'm going to have a cup of coffee while I read my Bible. Listen for the whisper, and you will be amazed at what God does. And then lastly, I just want to end with this one. Join God in his work. I love verse 15 and 16. Here's what he tells Elijah to do in the whisper. He says, this is the whisper. Go back the way you came, Elijah. Go over to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel king. Anoint Jehu. And he says over Israel, anoint Elisha. And then, um, and then he says, and Elisha's going to succeed you as prophet. So he kind of gets this word from God. If you want a word from God, you've got to have that steady time. But here's what I would tell you. You've got to get in on what God's doing. You've got to hear his whisper first. And then God's going to give you something to do. As a church, this is part of why I try to be so active in the community. Because these are opportunities for God to use you. These are opportunities for you to interact with people. And when you're focused on what God's doing, when you're focused on how God's working with other people, a special needs school, children with autism, when you see what everybody else is going through, all of a sudden your self-pity is it's not about you. It becomes about others. And God begins to talk and work. Most importantly, whisper. I don't know where you are today. But I pray that you're able to get up and giddy up. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that we're not alone. Lord, we thank you for how you work and how you move. And we need your help, Father, to get up, to giddy up. Lord, some are here today and they need some giddy up. And I pray, Father, that you would help them, that you would be their source, that you would literally just send an angel to touch them and and help strengthen them. Lord, I know that some in this room could probably use a guardian angel to help them get through a storm, a difficulty, where they feel like they're being overcome. Lord, today, would you send your power and your presence? And Lord, help us not look for a fire or an earthquake, but to hear your whisper. Lord, right now, would you whisper into the situation? Right right where you are, just a moment of silence. Ask God, say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. You know, in this world, Jesus said, there will always be trouble. It doesn't matter how long you've been following Christ or following Jesus or been looking and listening for the Lord. There will always be trouble. The question today is how and where will you turn when there is trouble? And I would encourage you, dear friend, you could have tried drugs. You could have tried people. You could have been looking for love in all the wrong places. But unless you turn to God, you will not find peace storm and you can find peace in your trouble by looking to him Romans 5 says this you know it says if you confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth you will be saved and so that's a that's an active word that you just are actively professing Jesus Lord Jesus into this place Lord Jesus into my home Lord Jesus into my work Lord Jesus I turn to you in my family Lord Jesus I turn to you in my situation Lord Jesus, I turn to you in my trouble. Lord Jesus, I turn to you. 
some of you today have turned to everything else but God. Turn to him first. And you can do it with a prayer just like this. Pray with me. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. I turn to you. I turn to you. I turn to you first. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I could have caused the trouble. Forgive me. Lead me. Guide me. Show me your way. Help me hear your whisper. I turn to you right now and forever. In Jesus' incredible name I pray. Amen. All right, everybody looking up. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like you to take out your worship guide. You peel off a communication card. And on the bottom, there's a little um, indicator. And you can let us know if you ask Jesus to be your leader and savior of your life. In just a moment, an offering plate's going to be passed. You can put that into offering to us. If you don't have a pen, if we didn't get a pen to you today, we have some pens right down here. You can, you can give it to me on your way out the door. Okay, you can do that. But also, there's a prayer part. In this world, there will be trouble. And you need someone praying for you. You could be isolated. If you don't have a pastor, would you let me be your pastor and share that with me? And I'll pray for you. And I'd love to text you. I'd love to call you. I'm not going to stalk you, but I'll let you know that you were prayed for. And you can put that in an offering plate, and it would be all right. Rachel's got some announcements for us. Rachel, will you come and tell them about all the stuff happening? Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Mac. Thank you, Rachel. Ushers, while you're coming on forward or spreading out, um, just remember to drop your communication card in, how we can pray for you if you made a decision, and we do read those and look over those. Before we start walking around, though, let's say a prayer. God, you are so good. You are the giver of all things, and just what a beautiful reminder this morning that um, you don't shake a fiery fist at us and tell us to get over ourselves. You gently nudge us and say, get up, get up, I can take care of you. And I just, oh, I love that we have you a God of hope and a God of peace and a God of love and grace and mercy that is so abundant. Um, We are undeserving and so appreciative. God, I pray that we just give back to you a portion of what you've given to us. Use Uh, Use what we give just to multiply your kingdom so that there are more people that can know that you are a God of hope and of peace um, and of nurturing. pray all of this in your name. Amen. All right. While they're walking around with the buckets, don't forget, take out your phone. Even now while I'm talking, it's not rude. And uh, check in on Facebook. Don't just like us. For every three check-ins, this is really cool. Uh, We've partnered with an organization, for those of you that don't know, (coughs) and for a certain number of check-ins, they give something to just uh, an impoverished area of the country. And this month, it is for every three check-ins, we uh, will be helping provide a meal for a child in Haiti. So if you're just driving on 10 and you're stopped at a light, don't do it while you're driving, check in at Encounter Church. Anytime, because three check-ins... Not just today, but throughout the week, we'll provide a meal for a child in Haiti, and that's awesome. Um, Also, thank you so much for those that did come out Labor Day. We had fun, and also those that helped with grilling and gridiron. I thought that was fun, and it was a great way to give back and get to know other people and tell them about our church. Um, This week, Ladies Bible Study starts. 
It's the first and the third Thursday. It's at 6.30. We will meet at First Baptist Church Alpharetta in the Azalea Room. If you don't know where that is, ask Rick because I don't know where it is yet either. But I will be there ready to lead um, at 6.30. And you don't have to know anything about the Bible. You just have to come, and that's what we're there for. So you can know everything about the Bible or you could know nothing. You are welcome. You will not be called on to answer questions and pray unless I know you're comfortable. Um, also, if you want to be a charter member, sign up for Encounter 101. It's going to be Sunday evening, October 4th. Um, you can email Rick. I think you can sign up maybe on the communication cards or get in touch with Rick. Um, if you want to help with breakdown, you can see Michelle and kids or Mac here in Teardown. We love, um, we love you guys. We pray for you guys, and I hope you have a great week. We will see you next week. Face to face with the younger me.
Smile.